Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Thank You Now What, a podcast about life after service. I'm your host, Matt DeVivo. This show is produced by Ben Murray. On today's episode, you're going to hear Matt and Ben just talk to each other because we had, uh, uh, you know, some booking fall through um, this past week, but we want to keep the tempo up. So instead of getting a full episode uh, today, you're going to get us maybe catching up a little bit and then uh, we're going to look forward to updating you and getting back on a normal rhythm um, as soon as possible, hopefully by the following Tuesday. A good intro. We, we have Literally to like cut in a clip here and then say we chatted on Zoom, even though we both live in Brooklyn, and uh, and then get into it. This is great. This is like a, a typical. I usually get these uh, these intros. Like Matt has the bullets and he'll just read it out. He rips through the intro, the ad break, and the the fen- like the conclusion. And it's always he's gotten so good at it. You know, he just rips through it it's awesome yeah it's almost like i didn't we, uh record it five times and delete the first four <laughs> we still have good material for someday doing a blooper reel yeah oh have you been tracking blooper reel stuff yeah yeah oh okay well uh, with uh, guests uh, too because we've had some we've had some good like double entendres from guests as well we'll probably need to go back and check that out okay. I, I haven't All been right. tracking that but all right, cool. Much, How much, much do you want material. to talk about uh, about your uh, big release? Oh, yeah, our little film. Um, I'm happy to talk about it. I'm happy to talk about kind of what you think about it and, you know, getting getting uh, our character, the participant in the film, like on the podcast. Yeah. I wanted to title this episode Ben's Big Premiere. How do you feel about that? <laughs> That's, sounds good to me. <laughs> yeah, our, our little film. So this is a it's a documentary that we worked on for eight years. Uh, my producing and directing partner on the last film, we got to we started working on this one, and then I dropped out of co-directing it to uh, do Warden, where I met Matt, and that's what came about with this partnership. And you know, it's been it's been great. And Alyssa's just crushed it. She kept working on it, really brought it and made it her own thing. And it just premiered. So I still get to tag along as a producer. So it's kind of nice. Um, you know, I mean, I actually showed up at the premiere and, and we had a good time. Matt was there. Uh, was there, it? one of our former guests. Yeah. Yeah. What'd you think? Uh, I liked it. So yeah, let's recap the movie first. So we're not just talking to ourselves. So this movie it's called crimes with a k which is actually the last name of a guy uh who got um busted tossed into prison and uh, i think there he kind of like found more focus in his life and he had always wanted to be an artist and uh, enrolled in art school kind of you know tinkered here and there but didn't have a lot of direction um, and then throughout his prison sentence kind of, uh, you know, found meaning in his art really focused to the point where he got out. Uh, he used art as kind of like a bridge to try to return to a normal life. Um, so the film, you know, kind of follows him from early life to being locked up to, you know, getting out. And then like, as we talked about last night, not just like i'm gonna get out of prison and be an artist it's actually pretty tough to be a successful artist and be taken seriously so that's like a whole thing itself um but like an impossible thing yeah it's nearly impossible yeah 
So for like anybody, for somebody who went to Yale and like got an MFA in it. So here's this yeah. guy that just gets out of prison with the same, same high hopes. Yeah. And I don't think we're giving too much away, but he starts by doing like, um, you know, transfers from newspapers and other kind of like periodicals onto other objects and, and, and eventually builds this giant mosaic, which he ships out of the prison and assembles later. So, you know, he doesn't actually see it for five years, which is, um, pretty stunning in the film when you get there, but also wanted to talk to you about how the hell do you stay on track for eight years worth of filmmaking for, for one product? Yeah, well, by having it as a, not your main day job, you know, it's the type of thing that you, you check in on it. You have to just track it and maintain some focus where you go back to film every year. So, you know, you, these stories take time to develop. Actually, the average length of production for these types of docs is eight years. So we, we hit the time that it usually takes. But it's tough. I mean, that's what helped being on it uh, with Alyssa was when usually when one person's down, somebody else is feeling better about it. So we kind of pull each other through the, the low times and the high times. And also that whole process is about raising money for it. It's like nobody's getting rich off of documentaries for the most part. And uh, yeah. no, nobody's like getting funded to just work and, and produce these types of things for the ent entirety of it. So it's all about like you shoot, then you go uh, fundraise, then you shoot again. And, and you watch the story evolve and unfold. Like for me, I was so curious. Here's somebody who used art to find freedom inside of confines and really express himself. And part of why he was able to do that was the structure of his life in prison. And I was really curious to see how he would, we started filming him pretty much when he got out of prison. And I wasn't sure how that would affect his art because now you don't have that structure in your life that's imposed on you. Mm -hmm. And you're not using art just to, or a big facet of art for him was as an escape tool. Like when he was in prison, that was like a part of a way to maintain sanity. And here he is without needing that anymore. So I was, I was wondering like, would he stick to the structure and the work ethic that it would take to become a, a great artist? And he always talked the talk. So that's where usually I'd, be pessimistic but this guy jesse he he always had a game plan and he really stuck to it and there were like filming with him there were definitely low times and that's part of what makes the film great is you get to see that and you see him go through the highs and the lows so it's not one dimensional but i think it goes without saying that it's extremely rare for anybody without the structure to be able to keep working and keep having consistent output of art yeah, you said that uh, filmmaking or documentary filmmaking was kind of like venture capital without the capital. So there's an inherent risk in investing yourself and your time into a story that, you know, the outcome is completely unknown. You're not doing like, a, uh, you know, like a, a post hoc kind of storytelling. And I'll steal another quote from ian rivers our last guest is an adventure is something where you don't know the outcome until it actually happens so how many you know just talk about that but also like how many um documentaries either fizzle because the outcome wasn't worthy of continuing down that path or where you have to get creative and be like actually we were telling this story the whole time yeah <laughs> I'd say for the most part, it's uh, 
you're always pivoting and the final piece is very rarely like what you started out with. So it, that is an adventure for sure. And you're along for the ride and it's all about channeling the energies. I always think of it like sailing where you have this force of time, this force of true people making decisions that you're following and you just need to go with it. So it's a bit of controlled chaos and mm -hmm. it's not for people that are going to, it's not like A to B to C, like everything's going to go sideways and you're going to be needing to make a different type of film at times. And sometimes it get, gets back on the rails and other times it shifts. But uh, I think going back to your first part of the question about, you know, the venture capital without the capital, it's really all about the sweat equity and the amount of time you invest in these people and in, in working on something that's, it's nothing. Nobody wants this film really, you know, it's your vision. You got to make it with the participants and you have to choose wisely who you go down that road with. So I think that's really the hardest part is choosing the people you want to film and the story mm -hmm. you're going to do. And I mean, yeah, tons of films fail. I think the biggest failure point is in the first weeks, the first months, when you start working with the the people in, in the film, your subjects, and you'll know pretty quickly if they're like into it or not. And you know pretty quickly too, if, if it seems like it's going to be a story worth telling and those characters, just like the people, the guests we've had on the podcast, you can tell it's like, wow, I want to follow that person. Ian, I don't know if he's going to make it to England or not, but I want to follow him and find out what happened. Like, you know, it's going to be a great story no matter what happens. So it's like that with a good character. Yeah. There was some documentary. Uh, it's the one on the guy who tries to dope for the, um, cycling. Like he try he, he's like a competitive Icarus. amateur cyclist. Yeah. Yeah. Did you turn me onto that film or no? Cause I know you're I all know. over it cause you cycle and, uh, I don't know if you blood dope, but, um, that, uh, that film takes like a hard 90 degree turn halfway through. And then you're like, Oh wait, this is no longer about him. Like his personal story. It's about, um, well, you know, from watching it. I think it's, it's not, uh, blowing it to say, you know, I mean, it's really, it's the film that exposed the Russian doping. Yeah. Like it literally was, that's what exposed it. And it never started out like that. No. Yeah. So that's the thing. It's like, but you have a character who I'd say wasn't that compelling in that film. It's kind of douchey, no. right? It's like, Oh, I'm done being a professional cyclist. Now I'm going to dope for the cameras and, and see how I do like, okay, cool. It's, it'll be a fun, I guess it'll be fun for cyclists to watch. Like, I don't think normal people really give a shit. So then halfway through though, it makes that turn and you're like, wait, this is for everybody. And it becomes a thriller. Like really it gets into some stuff, but that character and that real life person is what people were following. And just because he was a good character to follow, he opened doors. And because the filmmakers had the, the tenacity and the patience to go back and keep filming, that was really important. And I think that's a big thing for, you can tell usually if a documentary, if somebody like helicoptered in and did a tourist film of it um and then took off versus somebody who's embedded with the characters for a while i mean i'm sure we could we should probably do a podcast sometime where we we talk about all the different embedded docs like war docs and ones that are good or not i mean i think you've said you you don't watch any of them like that's not something you have any interest in in seeing well i uh my personal take is that i am not 
really interested by documentaries or even fiction movies that uh, happened during my own conflict, but I'm always interested in the ones that came before. And I'm uh, curious to see if I would be interested in the ones that come after. Whatever the next big conflict is, am I going to be watching those movies and those documentaries the same way I watch them about, you know, Vietnam and World War II, uh, just not my own? Or is there a point in time where I'll become interested in my own? I don't know. Because hmm. even though you go to war, you don't see every part of the war, right? Like if I was in Iraq this year that I wasn't in Afghanistan the same year, but some different shit happened there, right? So, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's all stuff that like you, you kind of know what it smells like and, and looks like, uh, even if you didn't experience it yourself, I just haven't got to the point in my life where I'm interested in that stuff yet. And that usually, it seems like if, if there's a cliche, it's around the age of 75 and you'll tune in the Smithsonian channel and just be watching, uh, all the world war two docs. Yeah. Colorized. Well, I'll, I'll be sitting with whatever. my like uh, case full of like metals and stuff uh, on the desk next to me or maybe hung up on the wall. Can you talk about how many different types of producers there are? And maybe you said this earlier, a little tongue in cheek, but like, how do I just become an executive producer versus uh, who d who's doing all the work? And what the hell does a producer actually do? Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I still don't know. <laughs> you know, producers really pushing the ball forward, but there's all sorts of producers. And you could say, right, I think there's a good argument to be said. Somebody who comes in with a hundred grand to get the project actually done is as much involved with making it and getting getting it put together. So I think it's the same sort of argument you can make with VC. It goes back to to that who's enabling the project to get done. So an, an executive producer is a very valuable slot that you can pretty much use for fundraising where you can set levels where, hey, if you can help me sell the film, raise a certain amount of money, then you, you get an executive producer credit. And you can negotiate actually and say like, okay, us as the production, we'll get four, five, six slots or two, whatever it is. And somebody else might get some of the slots to be able to use for, for fundraising. It's an, it's an expensive seat at the table for this okay. uh, dinner party of uh, making the movie. I saw Cora on the special thanks uh, credit. How did she yeah. swing that? Uh, she because she got born uh, under the under the wire. I mean, the new one, Miles, I think will get added. So, and, okay. and, uh, the, you uh, know, in the remastering, his name will appear in the credits. Definitely. So, so like a festival, a premiere screening is never a locked cut, or rarely, unless it's a studio film. So we're at a festival. We were lucky enough to sell before the festival. Usually, you the films that are at a festival, it's part of a market where. Buyers are there, they're watching it in a crowd and they decide which ones they should uh, try to buy. So we made a deal before the festival. Um, so we had to make some changes. So these buyers, right, they want input, they want creative input. So we made some creative input at the last, we made changes at the last second for this film. And I'm sure they'll have more changes after, the, after the, these screenings are over. So I always think like a festival screening or a premiere, it's almost like a focus group screening. Like mm. you go back, you debrief, and then you you make changes because the film's really never done until it's like out in theaters. And then sometimes you've seen, I've seen where like a director with serious swing might make a change after it's out. And then they have to like redistribute the film like a week later. And I think a good example recently of that was Cats. <laughs> 
I, I didn't with the see people that, who but, like uh, CGI'd as like anthropomorphic uh, cats. Yeah, so there was something where the, like either Judy the trailer Dench, came That's out. what I want to see: uh, naked, hairy Judy Dench as a cat. Garfield. Jesus. <laughs> Disgusting. And that's a uh, so uh, with that one, the trailer came out. It was about to go in theaters. And people were just making fun of it so much. And I think they threw like another, they threw a ton of millions of dollars at it to redo the effects. Hmm. And it was just a different shade of bad. So, you know, it's yeah. not a Well, I mean, what could go wrong scene? just enlisting like a bunch of A-lists uh, to crank out, you know, whatever. Is that where they're trying to like sell the movie with the cast? Oh, every Every film is like that, even to raise money. So kind of things have changed a bit with the streamers, but usually you get your this. The actors are what raise the money. So you get attachment and then you can go to foreign markets and they'll advance you a payment and guarantee a back end. Like you get paid X amount for different territories. And so that's really where a sales agent comes in and you find out how much money based on your talent that you can get guaranteed in foreign sales. And then you can use that to come back to the states and raise more money and bank money, you know, get banks involved. So there's so like so much it, momentum involved with identifying a star. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it could, wow. So it's like if you have one star attached, you hope they're you hope they're at the peak, you know, of their value. That's going to help you out. Or you don't, or you want them to hit it big after if you have like back end deal. So back end deal or points. Usually, it's you get a deal where after a certain amount of money is made, you start getting an extra percentage. So it'd be like, okay, after after the first 50 million comes in and we start to turn a profit, it's gonna be, you get 10% as a producer of that. Mm -hmm. So that would be like 10 points on that. And I'm not, this is so in the weeds, who gives a shit? <laughs> so I could keep going, but who cares? Fuck it, it's <laughs> interesting. I mean, you, this is what you tune into this show for. Yeah, so, yeah, for for uh, film finance, yeah. absolutely. So, what's like the next? So, a like a movie like this. Uh, first, I didn't even know that we were at a festival because I don't think about you know it that way. But I guess it's just sort of a part of a program of films that runs over a shorter period of time in the city. But what is the next step after you run it at a festival? Because whenever I see something hit the big screen, it's like, you know, this was, uh, you know, top runner up at this festival and this and that. So it has all its pre-screening, like, you know, regalia for you before you actually see it. So, you know, you said the next step could be an edit, more like a focus group. But how much work is there left? Because it looked like a pretty, like, you know, wrapped up deal. It was like a real Great movie. Question. Yeah, yeah. So, so festival, it's really a market, and the the only difference between Sundance and this one is location, and also notoriety. Uh, but for mm. documentaries, this is the top festival in the states. But uh, the way it works is, you go there. Usually, you haven't sold, so you go to this festival. Depending on how you do at it, buyers are excited, and you make a deal. Deals are made, and the film gets bought. And at that point, there's. Yeah, it was a finished film, but now you need to to have something that's of a quality to, to send out to like 
every theater in the world, sometimes you need to remix it. You need to make sure that the legality, like the legal stuff is actually locked down. Like you get, instead of it being the three lawyers that approve it, everything, you have the building full of lawyers at Viacom that are looking over every frame of it. So that can just change. The safety net is less. The risks are higher. You're working with giant corporations and you got to dot every I and cross every T. And so that can take time. And then also the marketing. So the film's done, but it's all about how it gets marketed and released. And a lot of times the marketing budget can be just as much as the film budget. And that takes a lot of time. So they really look strategically to when a film gets released, who else is coming out at that time. It's it's really, it goes back to venture capital. Like they have found the factors that matter. So like the stars could be the director, the talent, and there's above the line, below the line, the people that are working on it. Um, and they can factor in like what they think that film is worth on a spreadsheet and pretty accurately as well. And from there, they assign the marketing budget and then you start hearing about these films and then it comes out and it runs and hopefully it does well. And it used to be then that they would make a lot on DVDs, um, but everything's changed. It's upside down right now. Like, I, I mean, even you, I'm, I'm sure I've read articles about it in Financial Times or everywhere they talk about how the, the film industry is just going through some crazy changes because of the streamers. And because during the pandemic, people weren't going to film theaters. So like, for instance, all the, although I think it was Warner, all their films on HBO Max just came out. You know, they would do a simul release, which was wild. That was the first time that happened. And uh, it's kind of a big deal because the film release in, in theatrically is a big part of where the, the talent makes their money. And that's where they can also gamble. Where like, hey, I won't take much up front, but if it does well in the theaters, that theatrical run, I'll take, you know, the first 50% of that uh, up to like 150 million or something. Like you, you make yeah. the gamble and you can make a fortune. And you saw that with um with Joker. Did you see oh, the, yeah. the most recent? Like the yeah, kind of Inception uh, story? Joaquin? Yes. Yeah. So that's a film nobody would finance. I think the people that put it together, everybody was working pretty much for free or at scale, like at a small scale. And so they took that gamble. It was a huge success and everybody made a fucking fortune off of that. Same as like any any small startup. It's like, do you take the money or not? And 99, 999 times out of a thousand, it's going to be a total flop. And they that's that one. And everybody hears about it. And so you get the confirmation bias. Everybody thinks they can do it. Everybody comes out, you know, goes to film school and thinks they're going to be a giant director. Just like all these painters and artists come out of art school thinking they're going to be the next big thing. And yeah, in the prison. most unlikely of cases, you have Jesse out of prison being like, yeah, I'm going to be the next big thing and bring along my my friends who I made in prison who are fellow artists and we're all going to rock it. And they did. Yeah. And they just had a show at PS1. They're like doing extremely well. And I'm sure with this film coming out, that's going to raise their market value. And uh, I, I hope for their sake, you know, they're going to make tons of money off of that. We got to uh, start thinking about the doc for this show, not to give too much away because, uh, you know, we've been obviously thinking about it. So maybe we won't talk about it here, but, you know, start thinking about what we're going to do with uh, some of our, uh, you know, more exciting guests and, and, you know, interesting stories we've told or just talk about the show itself. Yeah. I mean, there's obviously a docu-series in there. 
and to have this, it's it's a great reference point to have this back catalog, which is what anytime we're talking, I always harp on. It's like we keep putting it out. We're getting this big volume of backlog. Like we have a good library. You can see all these different types of characters. It, to me, I'm always impressed at like the range of, of uh, listening you can have now. Like you can really choose all these different characters to listen to. And uh, I have a hard time now like recommending episodes for people. I've gotten to the point where rather than recommending episodes that I just, you know, like, I'm not going to play favorites and broadcast that out because uh, I love all of our guests. But when I rank recommendations now, I actually ask like qualifying questions to the person asking, what are you into? What kind of this or that, or if I know something about them, or if there's somebody who's, you know, like leaving the military, not just listening in. What do you want to what do you want to do next? Because we probably have someone who might have done something close to that, which is actually really cool that now that we've got this many or if you just like want to go on an adventure, we can talk about that, too. I was just kidding. This is a bonus. So no patrons will be charged. Uh, and oh, yeah. I was just yeah. curious, like for you, like how's outreach? Like what type of feedback are you getting? Is it is it mostly email? Like are you getting a lot of word of mouth contact? Uh, feedback on the show usually comes yeah, in like word of mouth or like friend of a friend will get my number or coming over LinkedIn or um, social like uh, the Instagram with like direct messaging, that kind of stuff. People have used the website and the email. But uh, yeah, I mean, there's plenty of different ways to reach us. I wouldn't recommend, you know, asking around for my phone number unless we actually know each other. But uh, the other ones are perfectly kosher. Um, yeah. So, I mean, we love any kind of engagement and then, you know, not to like totally pump the Patreon here, but like, uh, um, you know, we have a small set of people who are contributing to the production cost that goes into it. It's obviously not free, but we also decided to, uh, you know, make a commitment to give away a majority of it to some of the stuff that we support through the show. And, you know, Ian's charities were part of that too, most recently, but the other ones we have up on our website and that we've talked about, uh, before on the show. So, you know, if you want to become a supporter, Patreon's a great way to do it and uh, pretty passive low dollar amount, you know, set it and forget it. if you remember Ron Papil, so, uh, yeah, it's the way to go. Yeah. And small, but it makes it, it makes a difference for us. And, and it is great to see almost all of it. We can pass on at the end of the year. So I'm excited to yeah. see how that looks looks this year. All right. I think this was going to be short anyway. So awesome. before we get off, I'll give you a little thanks for tuning into this episode of Thank You Now What, a podcast about life after service. Be on the lookout for Ben pumping out amazing documentaries along with a team of producers, co-producers, and executive producers. Uh, stars and directors. directors. Yeah. As always, thanks for listening to us. Please be sure to subscribe, rate, review, follow, and join us next time on Thank You Now What. No All notes. Right, man. Take one. Take one. Excellent. All right. Hey, before we get off, just going to leave you with some more info on uh, Ben's latest films called Crimes. That's K-R-I-M-E-S. Uh, stars Jesse Crimes, as we talked about uh, before, formerly incarcerated um, artist. Uh you know, great, very entertaining. Avi and I give it uh, four thumbs up as we were there in person. If you want to see more about the film, go to crimesfilm.com. That's K-R-I-M-E-S film.com. And uh, check it out. Let's give Ben some support. Thanks, everyone. And we'll talk to you next time.